Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello, I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. This week on the show, Mark Ryle reviews the new Harry Potter prequel movie Fantastic Beasts, The Secret of Dumbledore, as well as Mark Rylance in The Outfit. TV presenter Anna Daly chats about her favourite movie, plus all the week's TV you won't want to miss, courtesy of yours truly. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email us screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the News Talk app powered by Go Loud, and it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm on News Talk. If you're listening on the radio, it's coming to at the ungodly hour of 10pm this week for various reasons. We won't get into now. But you're welcome. Whether you're listening on podcast, whether you're listening on radio, you are welcome. Now, regular listeners know I will. Before we get to movies and TV, uh, the odd time bring you some whimsy of my week. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was bemoaning my dental bills and I've talked to you before about swimming in lakes and other things like that and you know this is a movie and TV show so you're not here for hearing about me but I just have to and it's kind of TV related regular listeners will know that I'm an Everton fan and it's you know as Billy Connolly said football fandom is a disease you know I just happen to have it for one guy because of an one team because of an accident of birth now a lot of my family members have it as well. And if you've no interest in sport, forgive me. This will take 30 seconds. But it has been a very hard week. Everton are dangerously close to being relegated. And I usually start the show talking about what I've watched on TV. The most devastating thing I watched on TV this week was unfortunately Everton losing to Burnley 3-2. As I mentioned, it, it's a whole family thing. This is going to break your heart. At about 89 minutes... My eldest son left the room, unable to watch the end of the game, with tears in his eyes saying, everyone's going to be laughing at me in school tomorrow. Frank Lampard, Richarlson, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you happen to be listening, please, I beg of you, get us out of this. If not for me, then for my eldest son, who's finding it hard to go to school, given our recent form. Now, to other TV, this week I was watching this. I miss being a drunk. There's a lot less accountability. I don't wanna be a bus What brings you here today? Public intoxication, destruction of personal property, almost blinding my coworker. Being awesome. I just got out of rehab. I'm so glad you're back. We're gonna potty like when Tom was still with the Patriots. I can't. Hey! I wanted to tell you about this in person. My best friend's marrying my ex-boyfriend. Oh, no. I want all the booze and all the drugs all at the same time. You want to come in for a cup of tea? It's not blow, but it's all I have. I don't want to be a bus girl, but I'm sad as Didn't know there'd be so much stuff and feelings or whatever. That's the worst part, by like a long shot. Whoa. Whoa, good or whoa bad? You're kind of untouchable until you're a year and a day sober. Who can I complain to? No one. Now that is a clip from a new show that landed on Disney Plus on Wednesday called Single Drunk Female. And it's all about a young woman who is an alcoholic. And after a very messy altercation in her workplace, in the opening scene I think it is, she 
realizes she has a problem and she attempts to get sober and it's a 10 parter on Disney and I've watched five of them and the lady in question there Sophia Black Delia an actress I wasn't that aware of is the single white female she moves home to Boston this is very Bostonian which is it's fine by me. It's a great part of the world. I was there once. There's a touch of Irishness about it as well. She moves back in with her now widowed mother. Her best friend is there to help her. She goes to AA meetings. There's a touch of girls about this. It's very funny. I've laughed a lot. It's quite heartwarming. I don't know a huge amount about alcoholism, but it seems to me this is a, a pretty clever study of trying to give up booze and and. and staying often and my apologies if describing it as booze is hurtful or demeaning in any way she calls it that a lot in it though and it's really entertaining uh, now last week I was talking to you about another show called Winning all about the Lakers dynasty and I told you it was a great TV show as well two weeks in a row I'm telling you this so far is a pretty great TV show it has the magic thing I always say to you me and my wife who was watching it with me were doing that thing the other night oh let's just watch one more I know it's time to go to bed very funny quite heartfelt an interesting study of sobriety and stuff that might get in the way. So uh, really good, good TV. Single Drunk Female, now streaming on Disney Plus as of Wednesday. There's 10 episodes. I've watched five. It is well worth a watch. Five episodes in, unless it goes off a cliff. I don't think it's going to. It's written very well. Staying with TV, and I said to you, if you've listened to this show a lot, you'll pick up various things. I do a slot every week on, or every two weeks it is, on the Pat Kenny Show where I revisit some TV show, some streamer, some classic TV that I think you should watch. And this week I did The Virtues, which is available on all four. Now, if you've listened to this show a lot, you'll know I've waxed lyrical about that. If this is your first time listening to it, I want to just quickly remind you of the genius of The Virtues. It is a four-parter directed and written by Shane Meadows. And it stars Stephen Graham, as again a recovering alcoholic who comes to Ireland to sort out his past and to reconnect with his missing sister. And it is unlike any TV show you've ever seen. It feels like a documentary. It feels improvised. It has the most stirring last 20 minutes of television maybe ever committed. Earlier in the week when I was on Pat Kenny, which was hosted by Anton Savage this week, I said to him, I've seen better TV shows but I've never seen a show that has lasted with me quite as long as The Virtues. Uh, it stays with you in a way other TV shows don't. The Virtues on all four. Have a little listen. I'm just... I'm just looking for... looking for Anna. You, you are Anna, aren't you? Yeah. Mom, I thought so. Yeah, I thought so, yeah. Yeah, I'm just... I'm just looking for Anna. Do I know you? That, that's far enough, buddy. Hey? Just, just stay there. In, please, into the oh, car right like now. Just have a little word with you, Annie. Don't, 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 don't come any closer. No, just... no, nobody's looking for an argument, mate. Look, you're scaring me, kids. My wife doesn't know you, okay? So just stay where you are. Stay your kids, yeah. Yeah. All right, kids. I said stay there, man, didn't I? Like, okay, right, okay, 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 okay. Okay, I'm just... I'm, I don't, don't know who you are. I don't want to scare anyone. Sorry. I just want to... Well, you are scaring everybody, all right? I want a little private right. word with Annie. Can I just have a chat with you? How do you know who I am? I Can't you remember me, no? Mate, she doesn't know who you are. Hang I on, think you better just leave. Trust me, mate, she does. She does know me. She's the only one that does, mate. She knows me.
That's the great Stephen Green, opposite the great Irish actress Helen Behan, who was on this show a while ago and, you know, approached Shane Meadows in a pub in Bettystown. And that's how her acting career began in This Is England and other things like that. The Virtues on All Four also stars Neve Algar and Marco Halloran. And it is devastating television. And it is devastating in every sense of that phrase. It is on all four. Do yourself a favour if you have not watched The Virtues. If you're tired of hearing me bang on about it, my apologies. Now, really quickly, I have to mention something of a newsy nature, but it relates to television and indeed movies when you look at it. The Virtues was on Channel 4 and is now on all four for you to stream at your leisure. But it was announced this week that Channel 4 is to be privatised. A TV station that is publicly owned but commercially financed that was invented, basically, by Margaret Thatcher, who wanted some alternative voice to the BBC because she hated it. By God, did she get it wrong. Channel 4 became one of the most far-reaching, subversive, creative, ingenious TV channels ever created. It has given us everything from the tube to Father Ted right up to the virtues. Shows like It's a Sin from last year or the year before. We could we could do weeks. We could do a documentary about how wonderful and how essential Channel 4 was from, you know, showing the first lesbian kiss on Brookside to so many things that you 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 run out of time talking about how much Channel 4 has given us and how much work it's given people, including Irish talent. So to privatise it is absolutely absurd. There's been a massive backlash. People like Armando Anucci have been out to crying it from a height. It's been called cultural vandalism, which I completely agree with. We grew up with Channel 4. Where I grew up in Dublin, you got it on Pipe TV. I have... I remember the tube on Friday afternoons and how it blew my mind. I remember the Channel 4 signal, the way the numbers would come together and you knew you were going to get some great piece of TV you possibly had never seen before. I just think it's the worst idea imaginable. They say they're doing it because they want to, they have to do battle with the streaming services. No, they don't. This is a TV station that already makes money by its by being a commercial broadcaster. If they privatise it, it will not make shows like The Virtues. It will not make shows like It's a Sin. Or if it does, I will eat my hat. So please, please, do not privatise Channel 4. It is a terrible idea. And I'm sorry to rant, but it, it's a station I hold dear to my heart. <sighs> okay, finally, quick competition for you this week. We will be reviewing Fantastic Beasts, The Secret of Dumbledore later in the show. But we have some goodie bags, merchandise goodie bags to give away. A couple of them, a notebook, kind of tattoos and also some wands. Now, it might seem a bit strange. This is clearly one for the kids, but my kids love magic wands, particularly the ones from Harry Potter. So we have a couple of merchandise packs to give away this week. Simply text the word Dumbledore to 53106, followed by your name, and Anne-Marie Kane will pick a winner. You can also email the word Dumbledore to screentime at newstalk.com, followed by your name and who you are, and we will pick a winner. And then really quickly, a couple of people were in touch last week, but I just want to quickly mention someone who texted into the show, a Phil in Sally Noggin. We were talking about winning this great show on Sky Atlantic, all about the LA Lakers. And he said, Hi guys, I cannot recommend Ron Perlman's book on the Lakers called Showtime highly enough. I'm not a follower of basketball, but it is an absolutely superb read for any sports fan. And that's from Phil in the gym and Sally Noggin. Thank you for that, Phil. And that might be something I might check out. 
crowd because I love a good sports book, particularly with comes with the proviso you don't have to be into the sport because the greatest sports books all have that in common. One of the best books I ever read was Andre Agassi's autobiography, Open. I've minimal interest in tennis, but it's one of the best autobiographies I ever read. So I really appreciate the recommendation from Phil in the gym and Sally Noggin. So, you know, does that mean, I don't know, by proxy, I don't have to exercise if, if, if a listener is in the gym? Let's ponder that for a while. Up next, Mark Ryle on the week's new cinema releases. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. We turn to the week's new cinema releases and we're going to be looking at, I was going to say the much talked about, we'll find out in a second, Fantastic Beasts, Secrets of Dumbledore, the third in the series of Fantastic Beasts movie, the Harry Potter prequel movies, and also a new movie starring Mark Rylance called The Outfit, a very different movie. And talking of Fantastic Beasts, the Beastmaster himself, Mark Ryle is here. How are you, sir? Every time I hear the word the the name Mark Rylance, I, my ears prick up and think, "Oh God, what have I done now?" Oh yeah, there's a similarity, Mark Rylance, Mark Ryle. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before because you're on my mind a lot, you know. So you think I would have occurred to me before, you know? Sometimes I do, you know, anagrams with your name in idle moments. You know? Oh okay, yeah. all right. Okay. You tell me at what point it gets too weird, and then we'll move on. We, we're we're past that. Okay, point, so. okay, all right. Listen, Fantastic Beasts, Secrets of Dumbledore. This one I haven't seen. I have seen the outfit. Uh, you know, a lot of Harry Potter fans out there. My own yep. nine-year-old included. Uh, what's going on in this one? Uh, so where do you stand on Fantastic Beasts, or have you well, are you I, up to speed? No, I'm not, unfortunately. But I am. I'll tell you really quickly, and thank you for offering me that choice. I saw the first Harry Potter movie when it came out in 2001, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't really blow me away. Then fast forward 15 years later, I rewatched them all with my nine year now nine year old, and I thought they were pretty wonderful all in all right. so I've yet to get to the Fantastic Beasts movie but I've been meaning to where do you stand good, good, on that? Good. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that okay I suppose <laughs> <laughs> I should say what's going on in this one it it, it, it moves on uh, a few years from the, the first two were mid 1920s and this moves into the 1930s and they're all pre um, Harry the, Potter and Hogwarts right? they're all very pre Harry Potter yeah, yeah. Um, some of the same characters, but uh, I, I'll get to that in a second. There's a lot so, of stuff you have to get to. <laughs> yeah, I'll get to it all. I'll get to it all. Um, so what's going on here is the good wizard Dumbledore has assembled a team of wizards to stop bad wizard Grindelwald from rising to power in the Ministry of Magic and trying to wipe out all of the non-wizards from the world. Uh, Dumbledore, who is... Uh, Dumbledore and Grindelwald... Um, used to be an item and uh, when they were an item Dumbledore made this blood pact with Grindelwald meaning that he's now prevented from trying to do him any harm just because magic um, so now he's using Eddie Redmayne's Newt Scamander and a bunch of other randomers and replacement characters to upset the bad wizard's plan for world domination I should say Dumbledore is once again played by Jude Law and Grindelwald is now played by Madsen Mickelson after Johnny Depp was asked to step aside and for a Johnny very Depp, obvious reason. Who, for a very obvious reason. And then Johnny Depp, who was also taking over from Colin Farrell in the first movie. So different different actor, same character, three movies in. Okay. Right. So what, is, what did you think of Fantastic Beasts? Oh, <laughs> well, let's start with the positives. Okay. 
um, it, it looks gorgeous. The art direction and the production design, design they're immaculate. And any time one of these big budget spectacles puts in the effort to use practical sets instead of green screen, I will always appreciate that. Um, there's no substitute for practical sets. Of course, the, the Harry Potter movies and these movies, they, there's an awful lot of CG and green screen, but they, they do make the effort to use as many practical sets as possible, which is great. Um, Mads Mikkelsen, he's a really good villain. He's, he's, he's compelling. He doesn't have to try too hard to be compelling um, in a way that I suppose Johnny Depp can, can but dream of. His Grindelwald, it's, it's a more grounded and less panto uh, villain. And uh, I suppose some of the set pieces are really impressive. Um, so that's the, the positives. Now, to an extent, this is movie number three. It's a marked improvement on the, the last one. Um, but I'm sorry to say that the, the, the rot that's set in in the last movie has grown and some of the problems have become ever more apparent and pronounced as these films go on. Um, the first movie, um, I re in fairness, I really liked the first fan Fantastic Beasts movie. It didn't really feel like a cash grab, which I suppose it was. Yeah. Um, it, it was charming. It had a really good story. It had a great characters. It was well-paced. And it didn't get bogged down in world-building. And also, Eddie Redmayne's charm, I suppose, had yet to wear off. <laughs> the second movie, though, was... Uh, it was it was deathly boring. That was it, the main problem with it. It was full of these characters tracing their ancestral bloodlines and talking about things that were going to happen at some point in the future. Um, and there was this palpable sense of of time wasting in the second movie. Like the wheels were spinning, but the story wasn't going anywhere. Okay. So, you know, it, it's as a franchise, it started out very strong, but we're three movies in now. And I do think these Fantastic Beast movies, they're really struggling to maintain any sense of momentum or, uh, I suppose, vitality. Mm. Which the Harry Potter movies, as I alluded to, had in spades as they went on. And I don't think ever lost that. Now, as I say, unfortunately, I haven't seen this one and I haven't seen either of the Fantastic Beasts movies. But is there the world building thing is interesting that are they mm. continuing to world build because they want this to go on forever, kind of? There is supposed to be, that's an interesting question. Now, originally, there was supposed to be five of these. Mm. So um, we're kind of at the midpoint of it now. The, 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 pre, the impression I got from number two, <laughs> let's call it that, was that like J.K. Rowling decided that she had just buckets of time yeah. for this story. So she was going to just, you know, kill, kill two and a half hours. There's not, you know, and the the major problem for me with 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 all of these with the Fantastic Beasts series of movies is that it still doesn't have any proper characters to really care about. Mm. There's it's it's quite bizarre. There's no real central protagonist. There's okay. no character you can point at and say that's the hero. That's whose journey we're on, and that's whose story we're following. Because starting with the previous movie, um. I'm keep going back to the previous movie, but the same problems are, are present in this one. So you can tell you can you can take it that like it, 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 it these are the same problems. Starting with number two, I think Eddie Redmayne's role um, has been reduced to he's just sort of hanging around like a bad smell now. He started out as the as the hero in the first movie, but like he's grown into this this weird. Uh, he's occupying this bizarre space. He's he's just weird. He doesn't really serve any purpose anymore. And there's a uh, thank goodness for for Dan Fogler because his character is this. It's the solitary source of levity. And again, this one and the previous one, it's it's a bit miserable. And is there like a, a 
conclusion? Does it build up to something? Is there a big battle scene of sorts? There the is. Right. There is. I mean, it, you can. There's very kind of uh, clumsy parallels drawn between um, what's his name, uh, Grindelwald, and you know, uh, Nazi Germany in the the 1930s. Okay. Um, which is which is which is fine, you know, but um, the, and there is a sort of a climactic battle. But to be honest with you, it does feel like very small beans okay. and a bit of much ado about nothing. You know, um, there's no real sense of um, importance or, or, or urgency or anything. It's just kind of like watching things play out. Okay. Um, also, um, the the other the, the, the first two movies spent a significant amount of time setting up this relationship between Redmayne and Catherine Waterson's characters. And that has all been completely done away with because uh, Catherine Waterson has been almost completely done away with in this one. Um, I'll try not to spoil anything for anyone, but if you are expecting Catherine Waterson, you are going to be disappointed because her screen time in this one must amount to seconds, if that. And um, very early doors, her absence is explained in a very clumsy manner. When we find out that she's been promoted, somebody says, oh, she's she's not available. She's been promoted, which is, I think, rolling speak for her character has been taken out to the woodshed. Yeah, it would seem <laughs> um, so. And Mads Mikkelsen, he's he's always he's always worth a look. He's good. He is. He's great. He's one of those actors that can play. He's really good at doing villains, but he's mm. he's equally at home to, you know, doing it just kind of art house stuff and he's just he's just a really compelling presence and like i said it's a shame they didn't hang on to um a colin farrell from from day one because they really have painted themselves into a corner okay um, so this this sounds like a small bit of a mess then what would you say stars wise um i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it a three and a half because i think oh, it's still okay. like it's still a, it's it's an okay story and it's 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 you know the art direction and the production design are, are fantastic, but yeah, it's oh, just this okay. is a this it's a franchise that has problems. Oh, three and a half. I feel like I've been given out to, but then told I was a good boy after it all. Like, three and a half. <laughs> okay. Well, fair enough. I I thought you were shaping up for maybe a two. Okay. Well, look, that's good. So, just very finally, then, is it going to please the Harry Potter fans? I mean. I don't know. I think I said the same thing at the last one. I think kids are probably going to be bored, rigid, but I, most kids will probably be hardcore Harry Potter fans anyway. Um, I think the Harry Potter Potter fans are going to Harry Potter fans. The Harry <laughs> Potter fans are going to they're going to watch this anyway. You know, yeah. it's they're I'm not going to say they're easy to please, but I mean it's a you know it's kind of a captive audience. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's three and a half for Fantastic Beasts: The Secrets of Dumbledore. Let's take a quick clip. Why right, then? Oh, I imagine that you're all wondering why you find yourselves here. Um, and in anticipation of that, Dumbledore asks that I convey a message. So Grindelwald has the ability to see snatches of the future. So we have to assume that he'll be able to anticipate what we do before we do it. So if we hope to defeat him and to save our world, to save your world, Jacob, then our best hope is to confuse him. Excuse me? I'm sorry. How do you confuse a guy that can see the future? Countersight. So exactly. So the best plan being no plan. Or many overlapping plans. Thus confusion. It's working on me right now. 
Ecliptair, a fantastic beast, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which Markwell gave three and a half to, which I wasn't expecting, but there you go. Now listen, a different movie, which I have seen, is called The Outfit, which is very much Mark Rylance. Centerpiece, he's the centerpiece in it, Mark Rylance. Tell our listeners what's going on in The Outfit, Mark. This is the, it's the first movie directed by the imitation game screenwriter, Graham Moore. Um, in the outfit, Mark Rylance plays Leonard Burling. He's an old school English tailor in 1950s Chicago. Um, he keeps his head down and he concentrates on his work and he minds his own business. Uh, however, his tailor shop is being used by the mob as a drop point for payoffs. And although he does his best to keep out of the mob's business, he gets drawn into it when the mob boss's son shows up one night with a bullet in his gut and shouting about a rat in the operation. Yes, indeed. That's a very succinct way of describing it all. And he's from London. Several Row suits where he learned his trade and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what did you make of this? I, I thought it was really, really good. Um, obviously, we kind of said the same thing. If I didn't know any better, I would absolutely have presumed that this was based on a play mm. um, because it has all the hallmarks of but it's stage not, adaptation. It? It's got a... And it's not. It's, a, it's yeah. an original... It's an original script from... Um, yeah, no, I know uh, you said Moore. it was an original script, but I was wondering was it based on play because I had, as you said, exactly the same not, feeling. Yeah, it's not. No, but it really does. It feels like a play. It's it's got it's a, a single location. The action doesn't move from the tailor shop once. Mm. Um, it's got a small cast. It's got lots of wordy monologues, which really suit Rylance. Yeah, and um, the action unfolds more or less over the course of a single night. So I was very surprised to learn that it is it's completely original. Yeah, and some of the, you know, it has that play thing where the mad action that happens is offset and you come on and you and you hear about it, you know, through Mark Ryan yeah. or whatever. Sometimes that can be a bad thing, especially when, when it's an adaptation of a yeah. play and, on for the screen. But I don't think, not not in this case. And I'm sensing, well, you said you really, really enjoyed it. So you thought this was really good. Um, I did. It's, it's really solid without trying to be flashy. Mm. Um, it's got a really nice, tight narrative. It reminded me of two things. Um, I think the setup is slightly reminiscent of a, a, a more well-mannered Reservoir Dogs. Um, and also, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more it opens with this. It's very, yeah, it is. But it's kind of, I don't know why it reminded me of Reservoir Dogs, but um, it also opens with this very lengthy monologue from Mark Rylance about tailoring and mm. what a suit says about the individual wearing it. And I don't know why, but this really reminded me of Guy Ritchie. And I can I could imagine Guy Ritchie directing this script and ruining it <laughs> um, because the thing about Tarantino and Guy Ritchie is that, that they can't help but but beat you over the head with their personalities at every turn mm. and you have but uh, you know then, then you've got somebody like Graham Moore who, who his direction is very unshowy and he's serving the story rather the other way around which is it's 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 very welcome yeah, no, absolutely. And Mark Rylance is, it's no surprise because he's a brilliant actor, but if you're going to have so much screen time, you need someone like Mark Rylance and he carries it off as all these, well, there's not that many people, but as different pieces of chaos enter the scene and different characters bring chaos with them, he just handles it all brilliantly. And even though there's a slight escalating tension, he seems to register it all quite calmly. He does, yeah. It's got like with with a small with a cast as small as this. I think there's maybe eight characters in total, 
um, it, it's really, really vital that every actor pulls their weight. Mm. Um, he, Rylance is, is obviously brilliant. He gets plenty of monologues and big blocks of dialogue, which, which, which is great. And uh, his character, Leonard Burling, he shares that quality with a lot of Rylance's characters, where he's, he's the smartest guy in the room, but he comes off as a bit dim. And he's, he's kind of coolly in control, but with a slight edge. Yeah. I think a lot of his characters kind of have shared that quality. Um, You know, elsewhere, it's unfortunately not 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 really the case. Simon Russell Beale, he plays a mob boss. I think he's another highlight. And I think Johnny Flynn and uh, Zoe, Zoe Dutch, they're both they're both as good as they need to be. Um, Unfortunately, Dylan O'Brien really stands out and not in a good way. Uh, It's like he's playing a caricature of a of a mafioso. Yeah, he he was a weak link. But apart from that, here's the thing, though. Like, I enjoyed mm. it. I'm surprised yeah. you enjoyed it as much as you did because I thought Mark Rylance was great. I thought everyone, more or less, did a good job. But it felt to me it was like a movie shot during COVID. Uh, and, you know, afterwards, and I just had a feeling, yeah, that was fine. It was good. Mark Rylance was good. But I wouldn't be that tempted to rewatch it again. It was It was no. fine on its own terms, you know? No, no, I mean, I wouldn't be mad in a mad rush to rewatch it either. But I mean, it was, I've seen a lot of movies that were shot during, under COVID protocols. And yeah. I think this is one of the, it is one of the better ones. Yeah. It, it's also got that kind of Hitchcock uh, rope vibe to it as well. Um, some of the twists, I think they're, they are a bit clumsy and they are easy to spot. And um, more than once, I think Graham Moore writes his way out of a tight spot through through a sheer stroke of luck, which does start to stretch credibility. But I, yeah, it's a, it's a nice lean movie. It's, it doesn't have any excess fatness. And no, it's that's great, true. Great, it's some great dialogue. Yeah, a great dialogue and very tight storytelling now, now that yeah. you say it. Uh, yeah. So what would you say, Stars Wise, for the outfit? I'm going to give it another three and a half. Okay, okay. I'm going to give it a three because I just, okay. I thought it was middle of the road. Good. And I did enjoy the the kind of analogies drawn between suit making and, and life and Mark Rylance in them you know or how, how he played yeah. those you know that's three and a half from Mark for the outfit I gave it a three it is a good movie don't get me wrong but I, I'm so so kind of vibe to it but as Mark says mm-hmm. lean storytelling thank you for that Mark always a pleasure thanks John I'll talk to you next week Mark Ryle there chatting to me about two new cinema releases this week the outfit which he gave three and a half to and also Fantastic Beasts, The Secret of Dumbledore, which he also gave three and a half to. Up next, TV presenter Anna Daly on her favourite movie. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now for the last couple of weeks we haven't done a favourite movie just because there's been so much going on with Will Swift. Slapping people and other things like that. And a couple of people were texting going, where's the, one of them even said, where's the effing favourite movie piece? Which is always nice to receive. Anyway, I'm delighted to say it returns this week. And who better to return with than Anna Daly, who's a bit of a movie buff and of course a TV presenter. And lately, businesswoman, more of that and on. Anna, how are you? Hi, John. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Now, your movie choice is absolutely glorious. Will you tell our listeners what it is and why? Oh, do you know what? I went around the houses with this, John. Um, I know you did. <laughs> I, 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 I overthought it like many things in my life. Um, I was thinking at the weekend, you know, my ultimate kind of curl up on the couch comfort movie is a very old movie called Sabrina, which is not one of the obvious Audrey Hepburn movies. Great movie. It's gorgeous, isn't it? So I was thinking that. Then I went to Bridesmaids because I think there's probably no funnier scene than the moment in the wedding dress shop. But actually, <laughs> if I'm true to myself... 
the movie that I will watch over and over again, snippets of the whole thing and still laugh and not tire of. It's Notting Hill. Oh, wonderful. Well, we're going to talk about you now, but I want to quickly tell you, you have my backing because it was on somewhere on TV maybe six weeks ago and me and my wife stumbled upon it and it was probably halfway through and we had kids to get up the next day and all that, but we stayed watching the whole thing. So you, you, you have a captive audience here. Why do you love oh, it so good. much? I love it because I suppose it's Richard Curtis uh, that I love in terms of his his words, his personalities, his characters. So, I mean, lots of your listeners will know this already. I'm not educating anyone on this, but, you know, he's he's done Love Actually, Bridget Jones. Um, but Four Weddings was the first yeah. movie that kind of, you know, landed him, catapulted him into a whole new, um, you know, scene of super successful screenwriters. What I hadn't realized until I Googled it about 10 minutes ago, if I'm truly honest with you, was that... Don't tell not- people that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I wing everything in my life. It's okay, John. Um, before Notting Hill in 1999, Four Weddings was the biggest British movie of all time. And mm. then it was only surpassed by Notting Hill, which I hadn't actually realized. Yeah, wow. And just remind people what Notting Hill is about. Yes, you can't assume everyone has has seen it actually. Yeah. And if you haven't, I'm almost envious because it's a joyful hour and a half to sit back and enjoy. Um, this is Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant as the lead characters. Hugh Grant is your very normal Joe who's running a kind of a humble travel bookstore on Portobello Road in Notting Hill, and he's struggling to kind of make ends meet, and nothing's really going right for him. And then you have Julia Roberts, um, the character is Anna Scott, who's this worldwide fabulous movie star who stumbles into his humble travel bookstore one day and there's kind of an accidental kiss and it goes from there but what it is actually is is the normal joe you know bringing this super famous person into their life and apparently Hugh Grant had said in some interview around the time of of um you know the junkets and all that to promote the movie that this was actually a real life situation that happened to Richard Curtis the screenwriter's friend um a very normal guy he met this hollywood superstar who is who unnamed still um in Harrods and I hadn't realised that either and, and they began an affair and fell in love with oh. her and who knows whether they're still together or not who knows who it is but this was the inspiration for Richard Curtis in Notting Hill apparently wow now the, the and I say I love it so but one of the I suppose not criticisms but people say it's just very similar to Four Weddings and a Funeral in that you have this Hugh Grant character who's you know you, you call him ordinary but he's quite handsome he's yes. you know very charming and all that it's a very similar role to four weddings and a funeral but I guess that doesn't bother you because it doesn't bother me it doesn't bother me at all yeah I think it's done very well Um, my husband feels infuriated by Hugh Grant's kind of shtick I don't I I quite like the bumbling English man who I and I think he plays it really well and I enjoy it um, but there are some brilliant characters in this movie. I mean, Reese Siffins plays uh, the flatmate, oh, the flatmate Spike. And it's I mean, past it's the just... watershed, and we can describe him as a masturbating Welshman, right? Perfect, nailed, John. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Um, there's a scene actually that really makes me laugh where he doesn't wash his clothes and he just has to grab something. So he grabs some kind of a random snorkeling outfit that is Hugh Grant's actually, you know, from his wardrobe. But he has a pouch at the front of it that he has his 20 Benson and Hedges sitting in. <laughs> it's just genius. Uh, but he is your flaky, sloppy, 
grungy flatmate and he actually you could probably argue has some of the best lines mm. in in the whole movie and um, the other person that absolutely rocks my world in this movie is a very talented actor who's now gone emma chambers mm. um lots of your listeners will know her from the vicar of dibley but yeah. She plays the little sister, Honey. And in my opinion, she is all of us. You know, when that famous person is brought into the room, she kind of represents all of our reactions. You know, she follows her to the toilet at mm. one stage. And then she runs back to the group of friends and says, oh my God, I, she had to ask me to leave. This is so embarrassing. You know, she is that normal person and she, she plays that role so perfectly. Yeah. And you know, it's a love story and... There are, you know, of it's no surprise there's a happy ending. Richard Curtis does yeah. happy endings. But there are some real heartfelt moments in it and there's there's doomed love aspects to it. And both of them, Julia Roberts and uh, Hugh Grant, they get kind of whacked emotionally by each other. It's quite poignant at times. It is. And I think that's what Richard Curtis does very well. You know, there's a group of friends and it's not your glo- your glossy Hollywood, mm. you know, aspirational circle of friends that you look at and go, God, I'd love to be part of that. These are very real people. You know, the guy who works in the stock exchange is crap at his job. <laughs> uh, you know, the guy who runs the restaurant, they have a party because he has to close it. No one ever came to the restaurant, you know. So there, there is a, a realness to yeah. these characters, I think, um, including, you know, the lead characters for sure. And, and that's the joy of it, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. That it does feel quite real. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you one thing that's really real and you will appreciate this given your line of work over the years is the Hollywood junkets that they have <laughs> where he goes to hotel room and he pretends to be from the Horse of Man. They're quite accurate uh, the way they're portrayed. I can attest to that and you probably can as well. Well, you've done your own movie junkets, no doubt, John, and so have I and they've nailed that setup. Yeah. you know? They really it's, have. It's ever so glamorous, It's but it's conveyables. Yeah. What's of, your name again? You know, Where's the movie yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Where, where am I? What city am I in? Um, but it is hysterical that he has to make up the fact that he's from Horse and Hound magazine, which is the first magazine that he sees sitting on the yeah. posh coffee table in the, in the hotel suite. And actually, Misha Barton does it a star turn. She is a child actor yeah, in this movie. That. Yeah. Um, and she has a great line as well about working with Leonardo. Uh, <laughs> Hugh Grant says Leonardo da Vinci. She's like DiCaprio. <laughs> Oh, I want to watch it again. Mission accomplished, you Anna. You've you've done that. So that is Notting Hill, Anna Daly's favourite movie. So listen, finally, Anna, it's been a, a, an unusual time for you. You've gone down some different roads. You're now a, partly a businesswoman with your own brand of clothing, uh, a fashion line, Little Bliss. Tell us about what you've been up to in the last, I guess, 16, 18, I should say 24 months. I know, yeah. It's, we're losing track of time yeah. with COVID, aren't we? Yeah, I felt, uh, John, I had done enough early morning TV shows yeah. to last me a lifetime. I can imagine. Um, and probably enough junkets too, <laughs> although I wouldn't rule, rule those out in the future. But um, They've become a lot easier thanks to Zoom, by the way. But They the, really yeah. have. Yeah, yeah you're anyway, right. Back to you, sorry. Um, no, I started a, a clothing brand, so I would have worked with various other brands over the years and and kind of always wanted to do something for myself. So I started Little Bliss and it is a casual clothing company. Uh, little did I know the world was about to become casual overnight with COVID. I would have been an absolute genius had I have known that was coming down the track. Um, but it was perfectly timed. So it's sweatshirts, it's hoodies, it's kind of, I think we're probably spending a little bit more on everyday wear yeah. rather than that one dress for that big occasion. 
Um, I'm not sure if you can relate to that, but maybe your wife will. <laughs> come, come. Um, but you know what I mean? We're, we're investing yeah. more in kind of the gym gear, the, the leisure wear, the day-to-day stuff. And that's exactly what Little Bliss is about. It's a little piece of, of egg, everyday luxury. So I launched that and the timing, as I say, was, was perfect. It's online only at the moment, okay. um, but it's certainly keeping me busy. And people can find that at littlebliss.com or littlebliss.ie. That's it, littlebliss.com, yeah. Beautiful. And then finally, just in terms of TV, I mean, I presume it's a love affair that will continue in some fashion down the line, though, despite maybe being tired of early mornings. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I've done a lot of early morning TV and I kind of feel like that's that's done. Um, But I do love TV, whether it's live or pre-recorded. So I I will do other stuff. Um, I have an agent in in the UK that I'm working on various pilots with at the moment. Um, But it'll be more about kind of projects that I'm interested in, I suppose, you know, whether that is fashion or sustainability or whatever it might be. Um, Yeah, I'll look at those. And I'm working with the Today Show, the RTE Today Show with Maura and Dahi as well, doing bits and pieces with them. So that's been great. Yeah. Well, her favourite movie is Notting Hill. No argument from me. She is on our TV screens from time to time and will be again. Her fashion line is littlebliss.com. You can find out more. Anna Daly, lovely to chat to you. Thanks, John. A pleasure. With you, I'm in real danger. It seems like a perfect situation, apart from that foul temper of yours. But my relatively inexperienced heart, would I fear not recover uh, if I was once again cast aside as I would absolutely expect to be uh, there are just too many pictures of you too many films <laughs> you know you'd go and I'd be uh, well buggered basically that really is real now is it I live in Notting Hill you live in Beverly Hills everyone in the world knows who you are My mother has trouble remembering my name. A clip there from Notting Hill. What a great movie. Great movie. You can't knock it. Richard Curtis, he knows how to make a rom-con and then some. That is it for this week. Oh, my thanks to Anna Daly as well. The very affable Anna Daly. My thanks to Amory Kane who helped out on the show this week as she does every week. Next week, we have a doozy for you next week. Sienna Miller, Michelle Dockery, Jason Isaacs, Rupert Friend. Yeah. Loads going on between a new Netflix show called Anatomy of a Scandal and also a new movie called Operation Mincemeat. This show will be back to its regular time of 6pm next week. It's also available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. If you want to get in touch with me at any stage, you can email me, screentime at Newstalk.com or my Twitter handle is John underscore Fardy. Thank you for listening and I'll talk to you all next week.